This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Well, it's officially summer and school's almost out, but even if you're adult, there's definitely a slower pace between now and September So it's a good idea to update what people of all ages are doing in their free time. This includes substance use. The CDC looks at data on use and overdose with a variety of drugs, cocaine, psychostimulants like ecstasy, uh, especially those with abuse potential, marijuana, but still the most commonly abused drug, which is alcohol. We worry about fentanyl, synthetic fentanyl, Methamphetamine use is on the rise, cocaine is on the rise. And a recent US national survey was remarkable and showed that about 14.5% of age 12, age 12 or over had a diagnosable substance use disorder. The number of deaths from drug overdose has increased by 30% between 1999 and 2020. And now This year, five times as high as 1999. I really do try not to go into statistics, but that's one. Uh, I think 2021 was a record-breaking year with over 100,000 overdose deaths by October. Now the problem has become even more complex. Now the increase is in polysubstance overdose deaths. Without realizing it, a person is exposed to more than one drug. An opioid combined with another opioid or an opioid combined with a non-opioid substance. More and more deaths from overdoses involving multiple substances. Here to share the most important information about risks of overdose is Dr. Peter Vernick, a licensed psychologist and vice president of mental health services at Recovery Centers of America. He also has an MBA in healthcare management and faculty appointments at Drexel University College of Medicine and Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and he's the president of the Philadelphia Behavior Therapy Association. Welcome, Pete. Thank you, Marianne. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you on because, you know, it seems as though we had for last several years focused on the opioid crisis, 
but is it a more accurate term to use now that it's actually an overdose crisis? Oh, absolutely. So uh, the the risk for overdose has increased as well as actual overdoses. Um, you know, we've seen this uh, growing, as you had said, since the uh, the 90s. And uh, this is something that has been even exacerbated, like the mental health crisis, by the uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, it, it was already on the rise before that. And uh, all of the isolation and the loss and the difficulty associated with COVID has really put us over the top. Mm-hmm. And I don't love the expression designer drugs because that, you know, gives the impression that it's cool. But there are Sounds two like a sweater, new, yeah. Yes, yeah. And uh, there are two newer drugs on the horizon. I guess synthetic fentanyl is still the biggest enemy. But tell us, if you would, about xylazine, also known as Trank, and then we'll talk about the other category. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, xylazine, which is commonly referred to as Trank, is actually a veterinary medication that uh, some people have uh, used, but more commonly it gets combined with fentanyl and with other uh, opioid drugs. And the person taking it, they may not even know that they're taking Trank, and it's actually very dangerous uh, for individuals. It's it's something that has been abused, honestly, since the uh, the late 70s. So Trank or, or xylazine is nothing new. Uh, however, the abuse and the overdoses that we're seeing, um, it, it's really almost hit a, a level of critical mass that it is one of the more dangerous drugs that's out there today. And like I said before, many people just don't even know that they're using it. And so it's called Trank because it's a tranquilizer, I guess, for, uh, for veterinary use for animals. And if people want to read about it, I, I love the website uh, by the NIH, the NIH, National Institutes of Health. If if you want to, or to our listeners, read more about it to become more familiar, there's there's all kind of great information there. Um, but it sounds like it's being mixed with illicit opioids. Um, and I guess the reasoning behind it, am I right, is that people say if they're using fentanyl mixed with xylazine, that they get a more euphoric effect? Uh, absolutely. So a lot of the times when you see a drug that has an adulterant in it, which is just, you know, when somebody adds something to it, it's to increase the effect of the drug, to get a more prolonged effect, um, you know, ultimately to the person who is purchasing a drug illicitly on the street, it feels like the drug they're getting is stronger, better, uh, you know, that's the drug that they would want. So uh, xylazine is added for that reason, uh, oftentimes, again, to fentanyl, to uh, drugs like uh, heroin and other uh, other opioids. Um, but it is specifically mm-hmm. dangerous uh, when people get an opioid that includes xylazine or trank. Uh, you know, first of all, it has some of the same effects in terms of what we call respiratory uh, depression. So slows breathing and can actually lead to some of the same overdose symptoms that fentanyl and opioids can. Um, it also has uh, a rather unfortunate side effect that it, in, in more chronic use, it can cause skin breakdown. So there's actually um, ulcers or lacerations on the skin that can develop in chronic users. And these can be very difficult to treat uh, because of the way that the drug uh, impacts the, the blood supply in the body. 
So in addition to the dangers, it can be difficult to manage an overdose. Uh, something that uh, you know maybe we can talk about later is the availability of naloxone, uh, commonly called Narcan, which can reduce or uh, rather reverse an overdose. It has no effect on xylazine. So you may have somebody that looks like they're experiencing a typical fentanyl or heroin overdose, but the typical treatment is not effective. So by combining it with a narcotic, we're now tranquilizing your whole self. We're slowing your breathing. We're slowing your heart rate. We're dropping your blood pressure. Somebody finds you or you're with mm -hmm. a loved one or a friend that says, oh, pull out the Narcan. Guess what? This is not a narcotic. So the whole expression Narcan means narcotic antagonist. We're going to block the effect of the opioid. But guess what? We can't mm -hmm. block the effect of Trank, the tranquilizer. So you watch somebody just slip away and, and it's just heartbreaking. So those skin ulcers, uh, from what I understand, can be just brutal, devastating. And then they're open for infection, takes a long time to heal. And um, I guess people should know that xylazine can be injected or swallowed or inhaled or even snorted. Sorry for the uh, <laughs> using that word, but uh, can be used in so many ways. So people should be aware of that. Now, there's also a new synthetic opioid emerging, in the, especially in this tri-state area. Tell us, if you would, Pete, about nitazines. It's a category of drugs, yes? Uh, yeah, nitazines are a type of uh, synthetic opioid. Now, they are produced in some Asian countries as uh, medication. However, they're not approved by the FDA for use in the United States. But they're mm. also being used uh, combined with other opioids. And the problem with nitazines is, A, they're very strong. So uh, at their normal concentration, they're stronger than uh, fentanyl or uh, you know many of the other opioids that people are using. So so once again, you have an adulterant that increases the high people get, increases the effect, but also increases the likelihood of an overdose. But then you also sometimes don't really know what it is. If somebody is directly taking an idazine, um, you know, they, they may not know the strength. Uh, they may not know the dosage. So, uh, you know, somebody, again, who is uh, intending to take a certain amount, they may not know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. So just to give people an idea, when you compare morphine, heroin, fentanyl. If morphine is at the ground level, um, this new drug is 10 times stronger than fentanyl, which, and fentanyl's 50 times stronger mm -hmm. than heroin, and heroin is 100 times stronger than, or and 100 times stronger than morphine. Not that people have to memorize those numbers, but just take any of these drugs, and this new nitazine group of drugs is effect palooza. And I guess that would mean that the usual dose of Narcan might not work. Might they use, might a person need multiple doses of Narcan to stabilize them? Yeah, the, the good news about nitazines is that uh, naloxone or Narcan is effective because it, they are uh, mm -hmm. opioids. However, you're right, they may need larger doses. They need, may need multiple doses to be stabilized or to be treated. Um, so you may have somebody who, you know, similar to the uh, xylazine, they're expecting a dose of uh, naloxone uh, to bring somebody out of an overdose. And, you know, it may not have enough of an effect. They may need multiple doses, which, uh, you know, they may not have on hand, or they may, you know, not be aware that this person's taken something that's much more uh, potent. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing before we've talked about uh, uh, illicit drugs on the air before. Um, 
Right now, fentanyl is still king. That is where most of the overdoses are, are happening. But this is definitely an emerging category of drugs. And we spoke earlier about 2021. That's when the CDC did a big report. Um, and over 100,000 people lost their lives from overdose. But 75% of those people or those cases involved a synthetic opioid. So with this category of drugs, if it's a synthetic opioid, I would guess that a lot of drug screens don't include it. Am I right? That you were like, gee whiz, what caused this person to pass out or die? And it's not always in the screen. Is that true? Yeah, that, that is true. So even though opioids, uh, you know, they share a lot in common in terms of the effect that they have on people and a lot of the chemistry in the body, uh, these specific um, components of the substance that the drug tests are, are testing for, they're a little bit more specific. So there actually are tests mm -hmm. uh, that are available for fentanyl, um, but they are, um, the, the, the urine test for fentanyl is actually not currently FDA approved. So it can't be used for uh, clinical purposes. And then when you look at things like nitazines or uh, xylazine, these are not, uh, trying to, to do an assay or test for that is not standard. So um, although they're able oftentimes to uh, to detect this in, in uh, you know, something like a, a postmortem or in a study, it's very difficult uh, in day-to-day -day practice in an emergency department or in a uh, drug treatment facility to really know if people are uh, using these or not. Is part of it because a synthetic opioid has a slightly different chemical property that distinguishes it or, or makes it, gives it a bigger high and so it's cheaper and, and all that kind of thing, all the benefits to the drug salespeople? Uh, yeah, so so because of the way that they're produced, they can be less expensive and you need far less of them if you're going to, again, use it as an adulterant to make another drug appear as if it is stronger or it is of, you know, mm. a, a quote-unquote higher quality. Um, a small amount of this can be added and then it is producing that effect and they're able to add a smaller amount specifically because it mm. is so strong. But then we're talking about, uh, you know, what is, is ultimately really, um, really precise chemistry uh, being done in uh, environments in which, you know, you wouldn't want something that you're putting in your body to be, uh, to be handled or managed. And by people right. who don't necessarily understand that and, you know, what, what uh, the dealer is going for is they're just trying to make a drug stronger. And oftentimes they're using just, you know, wisdom, so to speak, that was passed on to them by someone else. They may not even necessarily know exactly what they're, they're uh, putting in the drug themselves. They would increase their uh, their buying population. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Pete Verney from Recovery Centers of America. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're learning really important information about the overdose crisis from Dr. Pete Vernick from Recovery Centers of America. Pete, we were talking about uh, two different categories of drugs. One, xylazine or trank, which is a tranquilizer being mixed with street drugs, not reversible with Narcan. So that's one uh, direction of danger. And another category of synthetic opioids called nitazines, which just take the potency through the roof into the sky, danger palooza, and um, my, a, a person who's been exposed to one dose of this might need multiple doses of Narcan or narcotic antagonists to stabilize them. How are people finding these drugs? I know we always say on the street or online, but I guess that's a silly question because if they don't know that it's in there, but in general, how do people get access and I guess the other part of the question is, how do people get involved in using drugs or even excess alcohol? Well, so, you know, to, to start with the first part of that, where people are getting them, you know, it is, uh, there, there's the term street drug, and, and we uh, throw that around a lot. But what does that actually mean? You know, a lot of people, they know somebody mm -hmm. in their, their social circle who will sell that, somebody at school, somebody at work, somebody, uh, you know, who's in their, their extended group that they spend time with. A lot of times, you know, I think we have this, this made-for-TV movie image in our heads of walking down a shady street. In, in the city and approaching somebody on a street corner. And that certainly does exist. But, you know, in, in many cases, people are getting these drugs from people who are close to them. Um, so as you pointed out, yeah, people don't necessarily know what they're getting. They're not usually asking for something like uh, xylazine or nitazines. Occasionally, they might. People do abuse them by themselves. But, uh, you know, you use the term uh, poly substance overdose, that's much of what we're seeing uh, today because people are uh, taking heroin or they're taking fentanyl and they may or may not be aware that uh, these things are in there and they certainly don't know how much of them are in there, even if they are aware that it's been adulterated with that. And then the the second part of the question about uh, you know how people get into use uh, you know it really is a a very complex pattern of behavior um, you know it, it it has to do with um, you know most people they don't arrive at drug use that endpoint they start slowly um, you know uh, using the example of alcohol most people don't start off uh, he heavy drinking or binge drinking they may start drinking uh, you know a little bit 
bit less severely, and then that may increase over time. When we see people who are abusing drugs like uh, heroin, they didn't usually start with that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes we see people who may have been prescribed a uh, prescription opioid, so a painkiller, uh, oftentimes for legitimate reasons. You know, after an injury or after surgery, when you know these these drugs are intended to be used, and then uh, increasing that use over time, starting to do things like you know trying to obtain them from multiple prescribers or obtaining them, uh, you know, through illicit means, and then turning to drugs like heroin or fentanyl because they're easier to get a hold of or they're less expensive or, you know, it, it gives them uh, what they feel is a better high. So, you know, the, the development of a substance use disorder is definitely a process, and it's a process that involves a lot of different pieces or comp uh, components. And you bring up such an important point. It's not I remember when we were little in grade school, a police officer would come every year and talk to us about advising, don't talk to a stranger, don't get into a car with somebody. And we had to color a picture of you. There was a coloring contest and they showed a man standing behind a tree holding a bag of candy, like luring a child. And it's mm -hmm. like you say, it's not going down a dark alley like in a movie. Uh, I, I wouldn't think of it that way, that it's your friend saying, hey, you know, we're having a party Friday night and I, a friend gave me some this or that. And that probably is how, but you hear about these, these young like teenagers who go online and buy one pill and they're gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I, I wonder what that search is like on the internet, but I'm sure that the answers are endless and in all kinds of combinations, but, I, but you will bring up another great point that if you read the literature or you look on the CDC website, it sounds like they distinguish three waves so the 90s, I remember, you know, I was in practice at that point, still am. Um, and pain control became the sixth vital sign. We have blood pressure, heartbeat, mm -hmm. you know, all those things. And where are you on a scale of one to 10 with pain? And we used to say, give the person XYZ pain medicine every four hours as needed or every six hours as needed. And in the 90s, we wanted to be extra kind and thoughtful and say, just go ahead and give it every four to six hours without asking to so keep a steady comfort level. And that seems to have been the trend in the 90s, would you say? A absolutely. And, you know, that certainly wasn't born out of malice for the most part. That was, uh, you mm -mm. know, physicians trying to, to relieve pain in their patients and trying to treat their pain. Uh, you know, the unfortunate downside of that is that as, you know, we're starting to learn, not everybody was really aware of the risks that were involved in those medications. A lot of people were given inaccurate mm -hmm. information about the, the risk of dependence that goes along with these prescription opioids. And a lot of people sort of underestimated the uh, the likelihood of individuals becoming uh, dependent on them. So, uh, you know, that, that initial yeah. wave in the 90s sort of gave way to uh, in the, the little bit later on and around, you know, the, the late 2000s, early uh, teens, the increase in overdose deaths that we saw. Um, so that's when, you know, there's always mm -hmm. been overdose deaths, this has always been a concern, but we saw a rapid increase at this point in time. And, you know, this this is a, a time when I mm -hmm. was uh, in the field of, of mental health and behavioral health care and starting to really see this just go absolutely through the roof. So the, the number of yeah, patients yeah. we were seeing coming in who were under the influence
patients. The number of uh, of overdoses just you know really really taking off, unfortunately. And I think that you know you can kind of really and, and many people have. Yeah, yeah. Draw the line back to that first wave and to the number mm -hmm. of people that became dependent and how mainstream that became during that time period. Mm -hmm. So even in the, you know, maybe around 2010, when heroin became more available and it's cheaper, that was the appeal there. And then say 2013-ish, around that time, when we started seeing the more access to the synthetic opioids, how terrifying, because they're illicitly manufactured. And as you say, the testing, they don't always get picked up. And I didn't even think about this. If they're um, tweaked chemically, A, they can't be detected by our routine testing. And B, are they not on the list of illegal drugs? If they, You know what I mean? Does that make it even more complex? I mean, I guess we've caught up with that now. But for a while, I would guess they weren't the people dealing them couldn't be prosecuted. I, you know, I think that the the lack. I don't know, of that's not so the, important. The, but the lack of detectability was one of the big uh, issues. And you know, this this is what we saw yep. in the the late '90s with uh, the sort of club drugs like ecstasy or MDMA where the, and I think that that's where, where the term designer drug or one of the places where the, the term designer drug was used because, you know, they would make just a slight change mm -hmm. to, uh, to the chemistry, which would result in it no longer being detectable and sort of becoming its own, uh, its own drug. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're now seeing these uh, synthetic opioids uh, and the, the fentanyl that's being produced and uh, manufactured illicitly. And they do continue to change. What they're mixed with continues to change, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, the, the drug supply out there, we don't really, uh, or at least people using don't really know what's in it. Yeah. And I, I wanted to spend a little time um, when you did your PhD, your doctoral thesis um, and I'll let you say the exact mm -hmm. title, but what motivated or motivation for alcohol use in college students, I'm sure it was more elaborate than that, but there are people who use substances, but a substance use disorder refers to a person who continues to use a substance, even cigarettes uh, or excess alcohol, when they know there are mm -hmm. uh not good consequences. Like say a pregnant woman says, I just can't stop smoking. Tell us a little bit about your thesis and, and how some people fall into a use disorder, substance use disorder versus people who use it occasionally. It's probably still shouldn't if it's illicit drugs, but yeah, so what I was really interested in uh, looking at is what are the things that, you know, in college, a lot of people drink. In fact, a lot of people uh, abuse alcohol or, or misuse alcohol in a way that, uh, you know, is not terribly healthy. However, a lot of those people are okay in the end. And that certainly is not an advertisement for binge drinking, mm -hmm. but you know, a lot of people uh, no. are okay, mm -hmm. but some people then will develop a substance use disorder. You know, as we talked about, m people don't start at that, that extreme level of uh, a substance use disorder. They start out at lower levels of drinking, lower levels of use, and then it develops. What you know, why? Why does one person develop that and another person doesn't? And what I was looking at primarily and what I was very interested in is, you know, specifically in alcohol, the motives for that. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why college students choose to drink. And, and as you pointed out, alcohol, one of the most commonly used drugs among uh, adolescents and teenagers, uh, you know, included the alcohol, uh, uh, nicotine and uh, marijuana. But uh 
the reason why they're drinking. So, you know, a lot of times we focus on kids drinking because they want to fit in or drinking socially. And not that that's necessarily healthy, but there's another category of drinking, which is drinking to try to change our emotions. So if I'm feeling down or I'm feeling mm. anxious or, or, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, maybe some some traumatic or unpleasant experience that I've had <clears throat> and people drinking to modulate those emotions or drinking to kind of manage them uh, or people drinking because that's the way that they feel happy. That's the way that they are able to uh, feel better. And so folks who drink to modulate or change or improve their emotions, ultimately more likely to develop the symptoms of a substance use disorder or an alcohol use disorder than those who are just drinking socially or those who are just drinking to fit in with their, their peer group. And I guess it's a catch-22 because if you start to drink more uh, in quantity, it's going to have a depressant effect. And then I guess we have to think about uh, how often there's a genetic component that, as we say, substance use to, a substance use disorder is an illness. Uh, it's not, people don't want to become uh, dependent on alcohol or drugs, but how often would you say in your studies have you seen a genetic component uh, involved? Oh, the there's there's a huge genetic component. However, it, it's complicated. It's more than just saying that you know somebody has. We, we tried to find the the quote unquote addictions gene for a long time. It really it affects mm -hmm. other factors like the way that people metabolize alcohol, the way that alcohol affects people, the way that uh, you know people keep their relationship with the drug essentially. Exactly, it's all fascinating. But when people hear that and they have a better understanding, maybe they look at their own family history and say, mm, I've seen this. Uh, trace through my own family, I need to be a little more careful, a little more aware and understand the definition of binge drinking. More than four drinks in, in one day for a woman, more than five drinks in one day for a man. And I know at least with the American Cancer yeah, that, Society. That's in, yeah. in one setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah so in one setting, the, the uh, four or five rule. Mm -hmm. And uh, even we know it bumps the risk for not just uh, liver disease, but cancers, just like smoking bumps the risk more than lung cancer, bumps the risk for colon cancer, all kinds of cancers. So, uh, you know, maximum one a day for women is the current recommendation, too, for men. But I think they're starting to drive that down in numbers as well. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Pete Bernick. And now for your real champion. I call this segment Savage Sisters. Sarah Laurel is a natural born leader. Raised in South Philly as the second oldest of 10 children, she didn't grow up in the lap of luxury, but by her early 20s, she had a very comfortable lifestyle with an impressive job in corporate America, a nice car, and her own place. Never did she dream that she'd someday struggle with an addiction to heroin and homelessness. Overdose is now the leading cause of death for Americans aged 18 through 45. It started for Sarah when she was 22 and developed carpal tunnel syndrome that was treated with pain medication. It wasn't long before she found herself using heroin and her downward spiral included 28 attempts at recovery, four stays in jail, and years of homelessness. At one point, she found herself with two men in a trap house. When the argument became physical, a push led to Sarah falling through an open window to the ground two stories below. Left to die in an empty lot, she's grateful that a stranger brought her to safety. She broke eight ribs, a shoulder blade, 
sustained brain trauma, and needed reconstruction of her knee along with brace and screws in her hip. During her 11 days in intensive care, she could see the plastic bag of her belongings, which contained the blood-soaked dress with the label Savage. Sarah had lived in several recovery houses, which were crowded and poorly managed. When she first left the hospital, she stayed with a friend who would soon relapse and lose her battle with addiction. After losing two best friends and watching her partner die in her arms, in 2017, Sarah got sober. By 2018, Sarah's brother Adam bought a house in South Philly. Sarah borrowed and raised enough money to rent the space and establish her own recovery house. Sarah wanted to approach her own continued recovery and the recovery of others with fierce determination. And remembering the word savage on the label from her stained dress, she established the nonprofit organization called Savage Sisters. The mission? To create a safe space to serve those who are suffering from substance use disorder and homelessness. Her work now includes nine recovery homes, each house designated for just men or just women, Residents live in sober housing, which is only $150 per week, while most others charge $200 a week. Sarah found kickboxing and yoga to be very helpful in her own therapy, so she has arranged for free kickboxing and yoga for all 59 of her residents who are there to heal and rebuild their lives. Savage Sisters also offers showers, wound care, food and clothing, and other support at their drop-in center in Kensington. The weekly street-based outreach serves 320 people, hot meals, Narcan, harm reduction kits, bags of clothing organized by size, gender, snack packs, safe sex kits. They also offer a monthly outreach with multiple tents at McPherson Park, also known as Needle Park. Educational sessions explain how to use Narcan to reverse an overdose and information on intervention and treatment of substance use disorders. The average U.S. program reports a success rate of 28% in long-term recovery. Savage Sisters proudly reports a 56% average and as high as 92% if a resident participates in all the programs. Sarah attributes her own mother's love as the basis for her healing. When everyone else deserted her, her mother showed up. In Sarah's darkest hours, her mother would take her to a hotel, get her settled, and even brush her hair. Her mother visited her in jail, stayed with her for the entire eight hours for intake each of the 28 times she checked into recovery. And when Sarah asked her mother why she continued to stay for all those hours, her mother responded, I just wanted to be with you in case you died. At least I would have had that time with you. Inspired by her mother's love, Sarah approaches her brothers and sisters of Kensington with the same emotion. Her mother is her best friend. Oftentimes, therapists and counselors, quote, tell those in recovery what to do, never asking what the patient is thinking. Sarah has a lived experience and sees this as an opportunity to encourage her residents to be proactive in their own healing journey so they be more committed, infusing them with pride and dignity and letting them know they're not forgotten. Savage sisters are, as they say, attacking addiction ferociously with radical love through connection. Their mission is to create a safe space for those in recovery, serving those who are suffering from substance use disorder and homelessness. If willing and able, we take people off the street and help them with transportation to and from therapy and help them get insurance. 
Sarah and the Savage Sisters want to show the people they're serving that they're not being judged, but they're being loved. Their lives are worth living. And it's important to add that they help those who are actively using, not just those in recovery, trying to keep them alive until they're ready to face the road to recovery. Because you don't have to be sober to be loved. We salute you, Sarah Laurel and the Savage Sisters, your real champions. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. So happy to have Dr. Pete Vernick here from the Recovery Centers of America. Dr. Vernick is a licensed psychologist who has vast experience, uh, written a, a doctoral thesis on what leads to alcohol use and alcohol abuse uh, in college students, that in itself, Pete, we could spend hours on. Um, But I think it would be good for our listeners to learn a little bit more about Narcan. And as we said earlier, it's the generic name, or not, no, it's the trade name for narcotic antagonist. I think when people hear that, we talked about one of the newer designer drugs, xylazine or the nickname for it is trank because it's a tranquilizer narcan narcotic antagonist let's go back and talk about what that drug does it's an antidote mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing and when and how to use it absolutely so uh, naloxone which is the generic name for uh, narcan which is, is the mm-hmm. the name that people will probably hear a lot more often uh basically mm-hmm. is a treatment that is used to reverse an opioid uh overdose it is, is absolutely been a game changer as far as helping people who enter an overdose of opioids survive and be able to go on and continue to live their life so uh you know as you said it's an antagonist which basically means means, uh, you know, where the drug has its effect in the brain and in the nervous system, it gets in the way of it and kind of kind of butts it out of the way so that the uh, naloxone is there and the opioid can't uh, can't have that effect. And in this case, the effect we're talking about is the overdose effect. So uh, depressing people's respiratory system, so causing their breathing to be more shallow. That's the the way that most people who uh, unfortunately pass away from an opioid overdose 
die is, is their bodies and the brains don't get enough oxygen because their, uh, their circulatory system, their heart and their lungs just aren't getting enough oxygen uh, circulated in their body fast enough. So uh, naloxone mm -hmm. basically reverses that and it uh, pretty quickly uh, brings people out of an overdose. But, and you know, you pointed out, uh, Marianne, really important uh, point that it does not work with drugs that are not opioids. So something like xylazine, which is a tranquilizer, it's not going to have an effect on that. It's not going to have an effect on something like a stimulant like cocaine or methamphetamine. Um, this specifically is for opioids. However, it works pretty broadly for something like fentanyl, heroin, um, prescription uh, painkillers as well. So. It's a very powerful tool in uh, helping treat people who are overdosing. Mm -hmm. And I guess the big, big take home message, if you are the person who sees a friend or a family member um, and you give a, a person Narcan and they wake up and they stabilize, they still have to go to the emergency department immediately for continued monitoring because some people mm -hmm. go back into their overdose condition because you ablate some of the effect. And if it's still swimming around their bloodstream, they can go out again, their blood pressure, their heartbeat can drop, they stop breathing, they're gone. So it's very important. Don't think that that's a magic medication. And we talk about Narcan, narcotic antagonist, and we want to, and that's the whole uh, hope of a service like Recovery Centers of America, you want to increase awareness and access. Am I right about this? It was approved in script form, if you got a, if you knew there was a uh, a person in your family or your friend group, you could get a prescription filled carry Narcan beginning in 2015. Mm -hmm. But hallelujah, uh, the Food and Drug Administration approved over the counter Narcan in March of this year, March 29. So you could buy it at a drugstore, convenience stores, grocery stores, gas stations, even online. Tell us about that. Has that opened doors? Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. It is it is wonderful. Um, so for a long time, it was prescription only. Now a number of states um, had sort of found ways around that. In Pennsylvania, where I live, the uh, state had issued a standing order for it. So although it was still a prescription, anyone could get it as if they had been gone to a, a physician and received a prescription for it. But uh, this is really reducing uh, further barriers to access by the FDA, allowing it to be sold over the counter. It does not need to then just be sold in a pharmacy. You can get it uh, in locations that are much more convenient. Uh, you don't need to go through the same process for that, or you won't. Um, as soon as it's rolled out as a uh, an over-the-counter drug, it has been approved. It has not been implemented yet. But once that's implemented, it becomes so much easier for people to get a hold of. And you know, really, mm -hmm. anyone who uh, you know, if you have a loved one uh, who is you believe or you're concerned or you know is uh, abusing or using uh, opioids, if you yourself are, or if you're, you know, commonly around people who are, whether, you know, you, yeah, it's, it's about harm reduction. If you, you know, go to parties or go to places where people are using, having it on you is truly a, a life-saving measure. 
It can be uh, somewhat yeah. expensive. It can be about $100, $150. However, there are many programs uh, for people to be able to get a hold of it free. If you want to get a hold of it, uh, look at your state, city, or county health department's website. See if they have programs through uh, drug treatment centers, emergency departments, hospitals, uh, the, the public health department itself. Oftentimes, they will have have programs in place to get it in the hands of people who need it. Such important information, how people can access it. And the other important message, I think, is that for people to understand how it's administered, you don't have to inject it, or if a person's out cold, you can't accept them to swallow it, you put it into the person's nose. You, in, you It's mm -hmm. a spray that yep. goes into the nose, the person's out cold, you put it into the nose, and right? Yeah, it, it, it couldn't possibly be easier if you've ever taken, you know, like a nasal spray for allergies uh, when mm -hmm. your nose gets stuffed up. It's that easy. The person does not have to be breathing. They don't have to inhale it. It literally just it's absorbed through the uh, the mucosa in the nose. And so uh, it can be utilized extremely easily. Anyone can do it. You don't need training to do it. You don't need, uh, you know, to go to a class, uh, you know, even some something as basic as CPR, you uh, you know, you need to go to a class to learn that. You don't need a class to learn how to do this. Uh, anyone can it's do like it. Putting a bandaid on, really. Printed there. It, yeah, exactly. It's so simple, um, yeah. and it. Uh, I think the the figure is somewhere around uh, over ninety percent of people in an opioid overdose who are given uh, given naloxone survive. So the the survival mm -hmm. rate is amazing. It's extremely effective. Like you said. Um, if you do administer it to someone and they start to uh, come out of the overdose, that does not mean they're okay. That does not mean they're out of the woods. They still need to go to the ER. They ER. still need treatment. They could they could slide mm -hmm. right back into the overdose. This is this is not a, a permanent fix. Um, so mm -hmm. you know, just like if you know somebody were to choke and you do the Heimlich maneuver and they're okay, they should still be seen by a medical professional to be sure that they're all right. Um, you know, think, think of it just like any first aid that, uh, you know, once, once you do something like that, you still need to be sure that they're okay mm -hmm. and you still need to make sure that they receive medical care. Because that Narcan could drop the, uh, effect by 25, maybe 30% and the person comes mm -hmm. to, but there's still, there could be still high levels of drugs swimming around and, and another wave yeah. of going out. So recovery itself, when does a person know? Uh, for themselves or a loved one needs recovery assistance because I really think I love the message. We had a great conversation the other day when we were talking about what we wanted to emphasize for those struggling uh, themselves or with a loved one. We have to repeat over and over. It's not your fault. It's a disease for a parent or a spouse or a loved one. Fault. Yeah. For, especially for a parent or a spouse, it's not your fault either. And if a patient with a substance use disorder blames himself or herself, they're much less likely to seek help. They're mm -hmm. embarrassed or they're ashamed. No judgment. This is a disease. I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, the, the stigma surrounding uh, mental illness and substance use, it not only is unpleasant, but it is dangerous because you're absolutely right. People mm -hmm. who believe that it is a character flaw, people who believe it's their fault, it's something they chose, something they did, are less likely to seek help. And as we know, you know, just from our conversation about overdose, people who are untreated, uh, you know, they're, they're at risk of, uh, you know, not only struggling and having a lot of difficulty that they, 
they uh, you know have in their life, but they can be at risk of death as well. So you know, stigma can be deadly. Um, it's not your fault if you are misusing substances. Nobody woke up in the morning and decided that this is what they wanted to do. Nobody as a child decided right. that this is the life that they wanted to live. And nobody decided that they wanted it for somebody else. No parent chose this for or caused this for their child. No one uh, caused this for their parent. This is something that, you know, as we talked about the causes, very, very complicated, a lot of different factors. But, uh, you know, because your parent said X, Y, or Z to you, that's not one of them. Or because you decided, uh, you know, that, that you wanted to, that, that's not one of them. So, um, you know, you're, you're not at fault for it. It is an illness uh, no more than, you know, if you were at fault for having cancer or diabetes or any right. other illness. So the more we destigmatize right. it, the more we make help available. And just like uh, when talking about uh, naloxone, um, it's increasing availability. So, you know, if you are mm -hmm. struggling with substance use, if it's getting in the way of what's important, important in your life, if you are struggling at work or school, or your relationships are suffering, or you're you're not able to function without the drug or, or without alcohol, or if you see changes in a friend or family member or a loved one in your life, so, you know, they, they are starting to struggle or their personality is changing, or they are uh, withdrawing from you or others. You know, th this mm. is a good sign to start uh, looking for help. So look for help for yourself. Find out what you can do. Find out what you can do for your loved one. The key with a loved one is being someone who's there to listen for them. Don't judge. Don't try to tell them what they need to do. Just be there to listen. Let them know that you know, you care about them. That's the most important thing. Have the discussion when you're both calm, when you're both able to approach it, uh, as opposed to, you know, when when they're potentially under the influence and when you're both upset, uh, you know, pick a time to have the conversation when uh, you're able to uh, calmly express that to them and, uh, you know, seek professional help for, for yourself, for a family member, for a friend. Beautifully well said. It's coming from a place Place of love. It's uh, during a fever pitch is not a productive time for conversation. It's not a good mm -hmm. time to be a scientist or say, I'm telling you, this is what you should do. And I think that sometimes is what makes people hesitate to address an issue, no matter what it is, whether it's uh, eating food to excess, you know, that's not an alcohol or drug, but can mm -hmm. be really harmful. People have different coping skills and they look to different outlets be it alcohol, uh, drugs, food, am I right? And it's about the approach and yeah, food, even... gambling. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of things, uh, both substances and, and uh, activities or processes, yep. as people will often call it, that, that people can, uh, can struggle with. Social media, TV, all those things, and exercise, mm -hmm. exercise to excess. And, and I think... Uh, and we're always blaming social media, but it's that's just a way of people posting how much they've achieved and, and that kind of thing. But um, so really what you're saying applies to so many, you know, as the old philosophy, the famous philosophers would say, nothing to excess and know thyself. On that note, we'll take a little break and be back for our wrap up with Dr. Pete Verning from Recovery Centers of America. 
Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Rebuilding your life and finding purpose after addiction. Hi, I'm Ross Friedman, CEO of Recovery Centers of America at Devon and one of your life addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about rebuilding your life and finding purpose after addiction. June is Rebuild Your Life Month at RCA, a perfect time to reflect on the challenges and opportunities of addiction recovery. It's a time to learn and find purpose and meaning in life after overcoming addiction and gain insight into the various ways to rebuild your life after addiction. Here are some tips to help you with this transition. Set goals, explore your passions, build a support system, practice gratitude, focus on the present, seek professional help, consider family therapy, leave old friends and activities behind, and adopt a healthy lifestyle. Finding purpose and meaning after struggling with a substance use disorder is a journey. It's not gonna happen overnight, and there may be setbacks, but with a strong support system, a positive outlook, and a willingness to explore new possibilities, you can find a fulfilling life in recovery. And it's important to remember that rebuilding your life after addiction is not a one-time event, but a continual process of growth and self-discovery. If you or your loved ones need help with alcohol and drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. And we're very grateful to you, Dr. Pete Vernig, for your information and really bringing us up to speed with the latest drugs that are uh, causing overdose. And we call this segment your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech. So Pete, we talked about um, really the overdose crisis and that combinations of meds are taking the lives of our our people of all ages, over 100,000 people in 2021. Trank is a medication, is the nickname for a tranquilizer called xylazine, which is a veterinary tranquilizer. So Narcan's not going to work all the time because uh, it might block the effect of the fentanyl but if it's mixed with this tranquilizer, slows your breathing, heartbeat, we can lose you. Nitazines is a drug that's 100 times more powerful, I think we said, than, than morphine. So try to erase that with your usual dose of Narcan. The take-home message, if you use Narcan for a friend or loved one, they still have to go to the emergency room. Tell us your take-home message in terms of recovery 
and how people can get help if you would. Absolutely. Thank you, Marianne. So I would just reiterate the fact that, you know, if you're living with a substance use disorder, it's not your fault. And also the fact that there is hope out there. You don't have to live the way that you've been living. You don't have to struggle with this. There are effective uh, safe treatments that are uh, available for you, for your loved one. If you are struggling, take that step, reach out, get help. If you have a loved one who you're concerned they may be experiencing a problem with drugs or alcohol, do the same. Um, have the conversation with them, but don't go it alone. Bring in a professional. This is not something that you should have to do alone as a family member, friend, or loved one of somebody who is struggling. So if you are uh, finding yourself in that position, Recovery Centers of America, we have 24-7 uh, availability. You can obviously learn a lot from our website. Uh, if you want to log on there, it is recoverycentersofamerica.com. But also we have 24-7 availability on the phone if you call 1-844-5-RCA-NOW. Uh, that is 572-2669. We have folks who will talk with you about uh, what you're experiencing, talk with you about a loved one, talk with you about options for treatment. Again, 24-7, we have same-day admissions available. And really, you don't need to know what you need. You don't need to know uh, if you need treatment. You don't need to know what treatment you need. We can help you with that. So just give us a call. And whether it is yourself, whether it is a loved one, whether it's a family member who's struggling, um, our staff, they're compassionate, they're available, and they will be there to help. And you make a good point, because people sometimes hesitate. They think they're going to lose their relationship with a friend or a loved one. So that's why you need help. You need professional help. Mm -hmm. Recovery centers, that's plural, recoverycentersofamerica.com or the number 844-5-RCA-NOW. Get out your pens and pencils. We're going to put this on our website as well. 844-572-2669. Dr. Pete Vernick, thank you so much. We've learned really valuable information. You are saving lives, and we thank you for sharing your time and expertise. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We thank our sponsors, Independence Blue Cross, Recovery Centers of America, and Genentech for their support. If you'd like to partner as a sponsor in the show, send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Friends, we heard a lot of information today about substance use, and now that the summer brings those lazy, hazy days, be mindful of your own habits. Men should limit their alcohol intake to a maximum of two servings a day, and women should stop at one. And remember, 1.5 ounces of hard liquor equals five ounces of wine equals one can of beer. Be a good example of discipline to your family and friends, especially your children. And if you need help to stop smoking, vaping, using drugs, think about calling your doctor to find a program. Be good to yourself or no one else will be. Promise yourself that you look at today as the first day of the rest of your life. This is your radio doctor wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. 
Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered.